Gentlemen, Tony DePani here from the Patriarchy Podcast. I'm sitting down right now to edit the upcoming 50th episode of our show. Yes, number 50 that you are minutes away from listening to. And what should happen to me as I do? Good question. I got a delivery. What was in that delivery, you ask? Another excellent question. You're a smart guy. That's why you listen to this show. Let me tell you, I got a delivery from a Little Leaven Bakery. Who's a Little Leaven Bakery, you ask? Oh, let me tell you. A Little Leaven Bakery are fans of our show. In fact, there are two ladies that I met last year at the Fight Laugh Feast Network Conference in Tennessee. Were you there? If not, are you coming to the Fight Laugh Feast rally at the end of this month? You should. I digress. I met these two ladies, and guess what? They started a bakery, and they sent us some sugary goodness that I need to tell you about. I've got macaroons. I've got cinnamon rolls. I've got pecan sticky buns, and I've got my personal favorite, oh yes, Buckeyes. No, I'm not talking about the worthless nut that my home state of Ohio adopted as its state nut. Yes, state nuts are a thing. No, I don't know why. And no, I'm not talking about our current governor. I digress. I'm talking about what happens when you take peanut butter and chocolate and roll them together in a ball and you make it look like that aforementioned worthless nut, except it's not worthless anymore. It's magic. And I got to tell you, I ate one, maybe two. Okay, three. Don't tell my wife. You can get some of this sugary goodness too. How do you do that? You ask another excellent question. My smart friend, let me tell you how. You go to facebook.com forward slash little leaven bakery. That's facebook.com forward slash little leaven bakery. Or you can send them an email at a little leaven bakery at gmail.com. That's a little leaven bakery at gmail.com. And if you didn't get that the first, second, third, or fourth time that I gave it to you, tough luck. You can rewind because guess what I'm going to do while you do that? I'm going to eat myself another Buckeye or two or three, maybe more. Don't tell my wife from a little leaven bakery and you can get some too and make sure to tell them the patriarchy sent you. This is how we disable toxic masculinity. We need to kill all men. This pagan patriarchalism that is coming back out of the shadows. Feminists hate patriarchy. It's the woman that runs the show, and the woman that runs the community and is the backbone of, of that area. I'm a nasty woman. A loud, vulgar, proud woman. Patriarchy. You're saying you have authority over me? Go eat your f***ing can't see why egalitarianism would be a bad thing. The assumption that wives should make babies instead of money is part of the patriarchy. Don't f***ing say hi to strange women you don't know. Patriarchy. The patriarchy. 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 Men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all. And that is Proverbs chapter 28, verse 5. You are on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, and you are listening to The Patriarchy. My name is Tony DePani, and I am joined by my co-host, Pastor Joseph Randall Spurgeon. Woman, get back in here and make me a sandwich. Joseph, what kind of sandwich are you eating today? Well, uh, Lance, uh, can I call you Lance? No. 
No, seriously, I, I don't know very many people named Lance, but in the medieval times, people were named Lance a lot. Wow. Nice. No, ser ser seriously, though. This is not going to be serious. I seriously, I just burned 2,000 calories before this show. That's the last time I'll ever leave the brownies in the oven while I take a nap. I mean, those things <laughs> almost caught the house on fire. <laughs> That's some rich brownies right there, man. <laughs> That's, wow. I don't know what you're putting in them. I mean, they're probably good, but yeah. Okay. But the ser to get to my sandwich. Sure. So Yeah, okay. All right. Go, go, go ahead. Go ahead. I took my son outside while my wife made my sandwich, and I told him I was an expert at identifying birds. And so he pointed to this really beautiful, there's this red bird in our tree, and he asked me to identify it. And so I said, son, that's a bird. Oh, man. Well, I guess I'm something of an expert. <laughs> I can tell. I mean, just, just to be able to pick it out just like that and know that it's a bird, I mean, that's amazing. That's that's. Well, yeah. okay. Anyways, it, it's it's probably too late for me to make a Suez Canal joke because that ship has already sailed. So <laughs> I'm trying not to get hung up on the subject. <laughs> you got to save these for after the sandwich, man. These are these are actually better than your normal stuff. So. <laughs> and they don't they don't take forever to, to pay off on the punchline. I'm used to that one. I'm used to it just going and going and going and then finally getting to the yeah. The punch well, I had out. some of these saved up for from my COVID time. <laughs> this is what you did. <laughs> what does Joseph do when he's sick? He just saves up dad jokes. Okay. Some people collect Pokemon. Some people collect dad jokes. Yeah. So All anyways, right. that's my sandwich. Okay, good. All right. Great sandwich. Uh, as usual, not a sandwich, but yeah. Um, I, I, I don't have a sandwich this week. I have pasta, which is, I'm Italian, so that should kind of go with the territory, but um. I, I we have not had sandwiches in a while. Um, my wife's yeah. slipping. I don't know, but but we had pasta and it, uh, so it was like angel hair You're pasta. Kind of an impasta oh, on this no. seg oh, no. segment. It's an impasta segment. It's an impasta. It's an impasta. So you got to really work hard and use your noodle to get these. Oh uh, boy, here we go, man. We're on fire tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we're on fire, just like your uh, brownies. Um, yeah, yeah. So she made pasta. She made some kind of like white sauce and stuff that went with it. It was, it was really, really good. And it was a big, chunky, uh, big parts of chicken and stuff in there, like uh, chopped up chicken breast and um, had some. And hamburger? No, it was not. It is not a cheeseburger muffin. I told you, when it's a cheeseburger muffin, I will tell you when it's a cheeseburger muffin. And I do got to get that recipe from her. I told her the other day that some of the wives that listen to the show keep asking me for the recipe, and I don't have it. So we should, we should just do a patriarchy uh, sandwich recipe book. Comment on you know what comment underneath this on Facebook. There's no or recipes in the book. It's just dad <laughs> no, jokes. no. Oh, well, you're ruining it. I was just gonna make a book with like one page, and it just says "Make me a sandwich" in the end. Okay. <laughs> like, yeah, just dad jokes. That'd be great. Yeah. The patriarchy recipe book. It's just a bunch of dad jokes. Um, but I don't know. We could do one with with sandwiches, and I think it'd be kind of cool. But if you actually want to see something like that, comment underneath this on whatever social media that you found the link to, and tell us what you want to see in it. So anyway, that's what I had. Um, I'm kind of rushing through that because we're on a time crunch right now because we got to get to our interview in a little bit. But um, it was good. It was really good. I, I, I really enjoy uh, pasta. Um, I'm actually not as big of a like red sauce guy. Um, it just depends on what it's in. But I, I actually like some of the other uh, like sauces and stuff that, that are not, not as common. But uh, she, she did a really good uh, job and it was some kind of white sauce that went with it and 
was very good. My uh, my sons really enjoy pasta because they like twirling it on the on their fork and stuff. So, so you, you you like the white sauce? Yes, I'm I'm partial to white. I know where you're going with this. I can tell. I can see it on your face. <laughs> <laughs> that's racist. Are you saying because I'm white? I mean, that's pretty racist too. I mean, <laughs> well, I, you know, that's true. I didn't ask you if you self-identified as like an Asian woman or something. So, do do you self-identify as an Asian woman or? Or do you just self-identify uh, as a white racist? Because that's what you are. That was a little bit of Polly the Transparent, huh? wasn't it? Okay, I, we we should. Speaking of racist, um, I think we should uh, we should get to our, our our next segment, which it seems that we're actually bringing back more and more. Um, it's almost like the world uh, falls into this category too much. But uh, without further ado, our, our next segment at the intersection of woke. And bespoke. Okay, so there's a little bit of a lead-up context here, just so you're kind of aware of what's going on. But there's this 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 restaurant that is owned by uh, seems like an Asian family or Asian people, and uh, there's a insane Karen lady that goes in here, and she apparently is very angry that it is not owned by black people. So that's our context. And context is racist. I'm well aware of that. Um, and I'm white, so, and I'm male, and so I'm also racist. But here we go. No, we're all Indonesian. Okay, do you Indonesian. think um, using this, you guys are not um, using black culture to get gain attention? Uh, and gain custody? You don't think this is black culture? Uh, is this Asian? Everyone, everyone is this Asian culture? culture? The comedy house is definitely an Asian culture. That's uh, no, but it's the trap house, though. Is that, is that Asian culture? That's not culture? a trap house. Yes, it is. That's the trap tea. I can show you where it's inspired Trap tea. Trap tea. The boba plug. You're using black culture to gain customers. Wait a second, bubble tea is black? I guess. I don't know. I'm super confused by that. I've never seen a a, a bubble tea place owned by black people. No, I, I'm usually, it's like at Thai restaurants and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I made some bubble tea in the Philippines where my wife's from. Right. Because, but, I'm, not, because I'm not a racist. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, I mean, didn't somebody accuse you of, of ordering her online, I think? So, yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. So, did you they get her? Racist. Did you get her from the same place that Michael Foster got his wife from? <laughs> sorry, Michael. <laughs> okay, all right. That's it. That's a that's a deep joke. Go look it up. All right, we'll go back to this. Is uh, not black owned, but using you're stealing black culture. Is this not black culture? Trap tea, the boba plug. No, you're thieves. Asian Asian people stealing black black culture once again. Once again, it's okay. You'll be exposed though. You're not black owned. You're stealing black culture. No, I came here because I thought it was black owned. That's why I came here. I told my friends I'm supporting a black business. This is not black owned. You're not. This is not black owned. So then leave, lady. She really thought a bubble tea house with a like an Asian name was a black owned place. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's more to this or something. But it, it, I'm looking at the, you've seen the video. I'm looking at the video. I have no idea. I, I I I'm looking at comments on this video, by the way. And somebody somebody wrote, "I bet she would go to a Korean restaurant named Soul Food and accuse them of <laughs> accuse them for stealing black culture." <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's the best comment ever. That person, uh, yeah, that person wins the uh, comment section, I think, on that one. But that's so weird. I, I don't, that's just weird. That's weird. You know, you know what it is. 
Between me and you, I think everyone's a little bit racist sometimes. Doesn't mean we go around committing hate crimes. Yeah, that's actually a real song. That was a Broadway thing. Yeah, go look that one up too. You know, the, the, the whole thing here is weird about appropriation of, of culture. Culture, yeah. And usually it's aimed at white people, right? So, like, if you ever wear, like, a if you wore a Pocahontas outfit for Halloween, you know, when you right. were six, you, you're a big racist and, and need to be canceled from the rest of life. And unless you're Elizabeth Warren and then... <laughs> yeah, but she's, like, 0.1% Indian or she, whatever. <laughs> Pocahontas. <laughs> but, like, the whole idea is, like... <laughs> You're appropriating culture. You're if you take something from someone else's culture and you enjoy it or you use it or you like it, and it's it's really weird because in our culture that we live in now, which is you know it's always been called the melting pot. Right. The whole idea of America, in one sense, was that people would as people moved here they did meld their culture some of their culture into with what was already here which is predominantly white i mean um let's be honest about what our culture and where it came from you think back like 1900 beginning 1900 like 90 percent of the people in the united states were white and still majority white so you have this idea of melding things in and that's why there's this Anger at appropriation usually aimed at white people. I've never ever seen it now aimed at Asian people. Yeah, that was just so weird. That was strange. That's kind of weird. But it doesn't work the other way around, right? Because you know, if you're appropriating Indian or Native American culture for doing something like wearing, I don't know, and an, something that looks like it belongs to Native American history are they not appropriating european culture by wearing american clothes yeah and i mean even the the whole white european culture thing i mean even at the beginning yes everybody had paler skin back then but that was still a melting pot i mean you had italians and irish and all these other people going in and they had their own culture too and but yeah well, the but, idea but it was it melds and that I mean, right, that's a, right. that could be a good that could be a good thing um, obviously, we live now where we, we don't want the melting pot. We want multiculturalism or pluralism. The idea that like we got to have all these other everybody has to live in their own ghetto of cultures separately while they live here, and yet we need to be angry at there ever being some kind of dominant culture. It's really weird because like when I lived in Chicago, one of the things I loved, and I'm sure I'm appropriating something or whatever, is. I could go, I could turn down a street and go get like really authentic ethnic food, like whatever kind of ethnic food you really wanted. Not, I mean, you know, like if you wanted real Mexican food, you could go get real Mexican food, not like knock off, you know, American Taco Bell, but like real Mexican food. And then like you could go down another street, you could get like genuine served to you by Japanese people, Japanese food, like, like made in house. And I thought it was really cool to be able to go appreciate all that. I, you know, I never... I never looked at it once as though it was like you're stealing from it if you learned how to cook, you know, good Japanese food or you learned how to cook like good Mexican food. It just seems strange that people are like, it's like a crime. You know, it's like a cultural crime to steal somebody else's culture right now. I don't, 
I don't understand why well, everything it's bad. everything is built right now in in doing two kind of things. One, attacking the dominant culture. And the whole reason you would, you would do that, attack the dominant culture, is because you want power yourself. You want to be dominant. There's always going to be a dominant culture. Right. And, there, and there's always going to be a, an, a dominant framework. And so to attack the majority position is, is to try to take that to yourself. So there's that weird thing going on. And then there's just the 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 weirdness of of we we want to make everyone divided from each other, and so it's just constant stirring up of troubles and fighting over issues. You know, if our nation is trying to be this multicultural, pluralistic place, that only works when. And I don't think that it actually works ultimately, but I think it, it can closest it can work is when people are peaceful mm-hmm. and they're not tearing each other apart over over um, slights. I mean, you think about in, in the church, the church is made up of people from all different um, places and and how it works is we don't we have forgiveness and mercy and grace and we don't tear each other a part over perceived slights, but what we have now in our culture, the cancel culture, the, the basically the woke culture is every perceived slight is something worth bringing up and making sure to point out no matter what it is. And all that can do is destroy. And I really think that's what's the purpose of, of it all. It is, Absolutely. is it's to destroy our nation, to destroy this nation, which has been so good. I mean, it's not perfect. It doesn't have to have perfect history. Um, there's always been issues, things working out, but um, God has been gracious to us in many ways. The gospel has found fertile ground here in, in many places. And um, I mean, Western civilization is amazing. I mean, it's why we got people coming here. Yeah. And it's, it's why they're actually trying to de- destroy it because they want to take it over. Yep. And 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 so I don't know. Anyways, uh let's let's talk about some of this issues and stuff going on with justice as we talk about um the virtue of justice. We want to talk about what it means to be a virtuous man. We've talked about the different virtues so far. We've covered like courage and um uh, what else have we've covered? <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the last one. I, I don't. I don't know if no, we have any more. No, no, we, we still have a couple more. I know we have faith, but um, are you sure we have? Faith? We've covered several. Yeah, well, <laughs> I have faith. Thank you. But we've covered several virtues, and 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 one of the important classical uh, virtues is justice, and mm-hmm. for a man to be just, and yet we live in a time where everybody talks about justice, all the justice, 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 justice. We don't know what the heck what it is. Right, so we don't have a clue, and yet God wants us to be just, right? Uh, and, and that verse that you read at the very beginning, so important, um, right? The wicked don't know what justice is, but the righteous man does. Yeah. yeah. And the problem is, there's so many wicked people claiming to be Christians and in the church, and they're just stirring up stuff, trying to destroy. Um, the peace and purity of the church. Mm-hmm. So, well, we have a treat, I think, for our interview in that I, I get to interview Tony's pastor. 
So we get to find <laughs> out all the discipline that he gets. <laughs> oh, boy. This should be fun. All right. Well, <laughs> we're going to take a break. <laughs> if we come back, we're going to be on the line with Pastor Mike Waters from Heritage Reform Baptist Church. So stick around. You are listening to The Patriarchy on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. We'll be right back. the voicemail of the Patriarchy Podcast. Leave your name, number, and message after the beep. Yeah, hello. Is this that, uh, this that place where I ordered a mail-order bride there? And um, I ordered a while back, and I ain't got it yet in the mail. I've been looking at my tracking information, got the tracking number looking online, and it says it's stuck in one of your distribution facilities in Moscow, uh, Idaho. But the problem is I didn't order any kind of Russian uh mail bride i ordered one from uh asia so i was just i was just calling i mean are you sending that thing by usps or fedex because i think uh, i wouldn't have said it by the usps but the fedex pretty good so well give me a call back hi i i was uh i was looking for how to build a tent i'm i seem to have lost it out of my podcast feed and i'm in dire need of a tent right now i'm I, it looks like I'm out in the woods here, and I, it's getting late, and it's dark, and I, I really need a tent. Okay, there's there's weird sounds coming out of the woods, and it, I'm getting nervous. So, please direct me to how to get to how to build a tent, uh, or just put it back in my podcast feed, uh, because oh, what was that? I gotta go. Hi, this is uh, this is Tyler Marines. Uh, is this the uh, Beth Moore hotline? Hello. Is this Beth Moore's hotline? Is she still here? Did she go home? Hello? Well, I'm calling because I've got some boys at home that I need some help with. I don't really have any strong men around me to turn to, so I figured I'd just turn to Beth. Beth, are you there? Hello? Well, fine. If Beth isn't there, then I'd love to speak with uh, Rachel Den Holland or even Amy Bird. What was that, babe? Oh, my wife said me too. Uh, her too. So she'd love to chat with either one of them. Uh, babe, what? Oh, sorry, Rachel or Amy. I gotta go. Uh, I gotta go take care of this. Babe, no, we already talked about it. No yellow wallpaper. I already, I asked you for a sandwich like five minutes ago. Where's that at? This is Polly the Transparent. That lady you sent over here to clean up my cage papers isn't doing her job. And I haven't had a steak in a week. She even expects me to get up off the couch, calls it exercise or some nonsense. Polly doesn't like her, so send someone else. Message deleted. What's up, guys? Heard it was your 50th episode and just wanted to call to say I appreciate y'all. Appreciate the show. Appreciate your emphasis on biblical masculinity, biblical patriarchy. Uh, We live in an age where effeminacy is running rampant, and um, you guys really have helped a lot of people. You've helped me out with seeing what 
I'm called to be as a man made in God's image. Um, you guys are really my first exposure to that, that way of thinking. Um, and funny enough, my wife and I actually ended up together because of an episode you guys did uh, a couple of years ago on getting married. She actually sent it to me. Um, and to this day, she will say that she didn't mean anything by it, but I think we all can uh, deduce the truth, the truthfulness of that statement. Um, so yeah, we ended up together because of you guys, so uh, I really appreciate y'all and everything that you do. Glory to God, keep it up. Bye. Hello, this is Tanner Cartwright checking in from Shelbyville, Kentucky, representing the patriarchy out here in the bluegrass state. Um, looking forward to the uh, forward, uh, future episodes from the patriarchy. Still looking for some stickers from Tony. Uh, Tony is wanting uh, to make beer steins, but he is still uh, unable to produce any stickers for me, so I'm kind of upset about that. But appreciate what you guys do. Um, God bless. Hey, Patriarchs, this is Natty P. from G220 Radio. I just wanted to say that I'm very grateful for the show. I've learned a lot about shameless self-promotion from following the patriarchy. Anyway, I just wanted to say congrats on the 50th episode. If you keep working hard, you'll be up in the 470s like the boys over at G220 Radio who record live every Tuesday on YouTube at 9. Message deleted. Oh, hi, guys. This is Henry, with an I. Heard it was your, you know, 50th episode. That's super duper. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's, that's cool, man. Uh, keep it up, guys. And, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, you should, you know, still take the cigar out of the logo. Because, uh, you know, uh, worldly and all that. But, uh, you know, good work, guys. Uh, yeah, whoa, man stuff. Uh, bye. This is a Reverend Rhyme Van Monet from the tribe of Benjamins calling to tell you about this exciting new ecumenical partnership with Jews for Mammon. And to launch this new holy rabbi spirit-filled ministry, I'm asking you to sow just a tiny seed of faith. Because if you don't have the faith to send me $5,000, then there's not even a mustard seed in that faithless heart of yours. With every small $5,000 seed, you are storing up power and healing for yourself, which even the mighty winds of COVID can't blow away. The Spirit is telling me right now that some of you have one leg that's shorter than the other. So right now, stretch that grotesque appendage out and put it right on the phone. Bam! Be healed. See that? Now I know you've got the faith to send that small seed of $5,000. So in the name of Mammon, amen. Hello, Patriarchy Podcast. This is the man on the yellow dot, KDCP, the campus preacher. Keith Darrell, and I was told, I think it's just a rumor, but I was told that you actually had more downloads last month than I did. So in tribute to Pedro Martinez being beat by the Yankees, all I can do is tip my hat and say, you're my daddy. And I'd also like to let you guys know that I learned today from Beth Moore that complementarianism is a doctrine of man. So I'm glad you guys are putting forth the biblical doctrine of the patriarchy. Keep up the good work. Hey guys, this is Eric Khan from the Hard Men Podcast. Yeah, I actually find your show quite offensive. Uh, my wrists lately have been a little limp, and I don't know, transparents? Guys, guys, Beth Moore would not approve of this. Recently, I was talking to my pastor, Deborah, and she said that you guys were very, very insensitive and rude. 
And so I just have to question why you're being so mean to so many people. Hey, honey, it's Marcus, uh, your husband, you know, the CEO of Lore.TV. I just wanted to say that I love you very much. And uh, while you're out, I was wondering if you could get me some short ribs for the smoker that you bought me. I really appreciate it. Hold on a second. I got a call coming. Oh, it's it's you. Wait, who, who, who did I call? It's Pastor Darren, Harmony Baptist Church, the co-host of the Resisting Bellum podcast. I was just calling to have a conversation with you guys at the Patriarchy podcast because I need some I need some extra training on how to be a good sandwich inspector. I was looking on your confessional wear website here about some of the different things you guys do, and I think the sandwich inspector shirt that you guys have on here is great. But I've been married for 18 years. And I really don't know what the standards are to determine whether or not my wife is actually making good sandwiches. So I'm hoping maybe you guys can put together some training and put it on your podcast for men like me who want to do a better job inspecting sandwiches. Thanks. Hey, this is Michael Foster, and I want to congratulate you, Joseph and Tony, on your 50th episode of The Patriarchy. That's a big deal. It's a lot of hard work, a lot of time, and it's going to bless a lot of men down the line as they continue to find your podcast and all the other work you guys are doing. Thank you so much for loving men. As men go, so goes the nation. So... Thank you for helping our nation and building up Christian men everywhere. What's up, guys? This is Nate Spickard out of Ohio. I love the Patriarchy podcast, raising up the patriarchy, taking down one feminist at a time, helping men from all over the world. I love you guys, and make sure that you fight, you laugh, and you feast. Tony, this is your mom. I don't think I appreciate the Make Me a Sandwich segment you two do. I think it's very disrespectful, but I love you anyways, and have a good 50th episode. This is Jake Justice, the anti-racist, motivational speaker to white churches, white schools, white businesses, white people, and just anything white, including snowballs, because as the famous proverb says, if it's white, it's racist. I want to introduce my new book, Shut Up and Listen, You Racist, My Journey Out of White Fragility. In this breakthrough new book, I'll recount exactly how I ended my white fragility. Broken up into bite-sized chapters, such as chapter one, shut your white racist mouth. Chapter 2, You're Not Listening, White Garbage. And the heavy-hitting final chapter, Chapter 10, You Don't Know Jack Because Jack is Black. This soon-to-be best-selling book is sure to cure all that white fragility you've had for before time began. If you act now, I'll throw in your choice of a dream catcher, a pair of chopsticks, a pinata, a bucket of fried chicken, or a gold-plated yarmulke to help numb all that white fragility. But that's not all. The first 10 callers will also get Shut Up and Listen, You Racist, the workbook for racists, which is printed on entirely black pages. Wait, that's still not all. The first five callers will also get a free download of the audiobook read by none other than sitting president herself, Kamala Harris. Don't let this once-in-a-racist lifetime offer pass you by. Get that big fat wallet full of reparations out and call 1-800-555-HATE now. That's 1-800-555-HATE. Because remember, if you're white, you're racist. And we've got to talk about that. End of messages.
We're on the line with Pastor Mike Waters. Mike was converted in 1994 through the ministry of Holland Rescue Mission in Holland, Michigan, where he then after worked as assistant chaplain, then chaplain for nearly 10 years. He was then sent by his church to Heritage Reformed Baptist Church in Ohio. He attended Puritan Theological Seminary in Grand Rapids, and he is married to his wife, Angela, of nearly 23 years, and together they have five kids and three grandchildren. Mike, welcome to the Patriarchy. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate it. So, uh, uh, Pastor Mike, um, Tony has this question he wants me to ask, but I'm not actually, <laughs> I, I'm really just interested to, since you're his pastor, I thought it'd be good to have a good conversation about the church discipline and that kind of stuff. You stop it. You stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Back off. <laughs> no, uh, somebody told me that you used, you used to be a DJ and have a DJ name. That's true. One, one of your deacons betrayed you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was called uh, DJ Mikey Mike, uh, oh, and then nice. subnamed the first white boy on the wheels because I had <laughs> I had my tables from I got my my first set of turntables probably in '83, the same year that Run DMC shook up the hip hop world nice. with sucker MCs. Nice, <laughs> nice. Well, I, I I used to be a DJ in my past life as well, <laughs> and so it's good to have a fellow DJ here. Then. Wait, what was your DJ name, Joseph? Because I don't know this. <laughs> you you didn't know that I did that for a no living? no no I do I just don't know. Did oh, you have a okay. DJ name? Was it equally yeah. as cool as Pastor Mike's? So. Uh, it, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> it was a uh, Tiki Joe. Tiki Joe. Oh, okay. That's. Did you wear a, yeah. a Hawaiian shirt or anything? I did actually. So oh. I would when I would. It depends where I would. DJ at so I did a lot of weddings and those type of things but then when I did like shows where I actually got to DJ like I would have like a Hawaiian shirt and do a lot of my music style was very islandy <laughs> okay I learned something new about the both of you now <laughs> all right all right well since uh, uh we've got you on here we, let's get to the actual topic at hand we're, we're talking today about justice and what it means to be a just man but uh um we actually, before we got you on here, Pastor Mike, had uh, been talking uh, about how we, we, we showed us or we played a, a clip of this uh, a black woman uh, very angry at a Asian bubble tea place because they were not black owned and they were appropriating black culture. And so then we, we, we were talking about how um, there's just this outrage culture that we live in and, and this idea of social justice that's now entered into the church that's dividing the church. And I'd be very interested to hear what, what's your take on what's happening with social justice and critical race theory and, and um, intersectionality, all these kind of buzzword things that are going on. Yeah. Uh, well, can I back up for a second first though, Joseph? And, yes, um, and, and, uh, and I'll come to that, but um I want to, first of all, just kind of set the table with a, a few introductory thoughts that I think are relevant and important. And the first concerns God's justice, and then uh, and then secondly, our justice. Okay, so if we back up to say, first, God is just, and uh, as you may um, sure know, the scriptures often couple together God's justice and righteousness. Uh, uh, several texts, for example, he loves righteousness and justice, Psalm 89, 14, Psalm 97, 2, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. 
And I, I think those terms go together because they're very similar, though we distinguish them slightly. So God is positively just. That means there's nothing in God that's unjust or unrighteous. And then he's um, positively just or righteous. That is, he's perfectly infinitely and essentially just, upright, and righteous. And so we read, for example, in Deuteronomy 32.4, righteous and upright is he, or else Psalm 92.15, the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no righteousness. There is no unrighteousness in him. So you can see, like, from that last text, positively, the Lord is upright. Negatively, there's nothing in him that's unrighteous. And so God is righteous, he is just, he is upright, and there's nothing in him to the contrary. But of course, as you guys also know, when we speak of God's attributes, these aren't just things true of him, these are him. God isn't just loving, he is love, he isn't just just, he's justice, he's not just righteous, but he's righteousness. He's light, he's love, his attributes are are but God himself viewed from another angle. So God is just. God is upright. God is righteousness. And you guys know this is where we have to start, right? When we speak of the perversion of that and the distortion of that in, mm -hmm. in, in some of the things that you mentioned. But then uh, secondly to that is that God acts justly. And uh, the older divines, the older theologians, like to distinguish between his absolute justice and his relative justice. And by absolute justice is what I've already said. It refers to God himself. God is just in himself. That's his ab absolute justice. But he's also just with respect to his creation. That's his relative justice. He's just toward his creation. So he's not only just, but he acts justly. Deuteronomy 32.4 again. All his ways are justice a God of truth, and without injustice. Again, you can see the positive and negative there. He is just. There's nothing in him unjust. But this verse actually is speaking about his ways. All his ways are justice. A God of truth, and without injustice. So because he is just, he acts justly, or because he is righteous, he acts righteously. And how does he act justly? within and among his creation. Well, he rewards the good, and he punishes the evil. He rewards the good. Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love. That would be unjust of God to forget. It would be unjust of God not to reward the good, and he punishes evil. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.6-7, It is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. So God is just, he acts justly, and then that brings us to the, more to the point that you mentioned, Joseph. Christians are to be just and act justly. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I, I like to couch it in a more positive way, because as, as we'll see in a minute, there's a lot of distortion and perversion around what is justice, but we all agree, A, God is just, B, he acts justly, and Thirdly, we're to imitate him, and we are to be just, and we are to act justly. 
But the problem specifically with social justice is this. An advocate of social uh, justice would maintain that it's, ne it's a necessary purpose of the church to labor to create social equality within the world, or they would say it's unjust for Christians not to combat and or correct all perceived injustice in society. Mm -hmm. So we agree. Absolutely agree. God is just. He is a God of justice. We also believe he acts justly. And thirdly, we believe as his people, we too ought to be just and act justly. But again, what they do is they then couch that to mean that we as the church, the, a necessary purpose of the church is to labor to create social equality within the world and or to combat and correct all perceived injustices within society. And uh, I think maybe one, well, a, a somewhat simple way to, to address that particular error is uh, to remember a few things about justice and the Christian, or the Christian and justice. One, we learn from the Bible that the church in the New Testament specifically, never sought to remedy perceived injustices within society. I mean, if you think about it, the Roman society into which most first century Christians were born and lived was filled with all manner of social injustices. Slavery, poverty, neglect of the sick, abuse of the weak and needy, these are but a few of the ways injustice manifested itself or abounded even in the first century, and yet not a single New Testament letter addresses these issues as a matter for the church to correct. Christians are simply told to honor God in the specific circumstances in which they're saved. For example, slaves, honor your masters. Masters, respect your slaves. Citizens, honor and submit to governing authorities, even though, even though these were highly corrupt, unjust, and immoral. And so in the first place, the church never sought to remedy perceived injustices within society. And secondly, the church is to foremostly promote justice and equity within the body of Christ. And I think this is at the, at the heart of the problem. The majority of people who appeal for social, social justice, they misunderstand texts in the Bible. Okay, let me illustrate that with two examples. Okay, the classic is Micah 6.8. This is, quote, the social justice text, right? He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. But guys, this isn't a text that God isn't through this text exhorting Israel to do justly, to act justly within the pagan nations. He's not, he's not, the prophet isn't condemning them because they were not showing justice within the pagan, their, their pagan neighbors, but because they wasn't showing it within Israel. That was the whole point. He, he's not condemning them because they wasn't going to the Canaanites and showing and taking up their causes and trying to right all that's wrong. But they were acting unjustly among themselves. And that's what he means when he says, he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require you to do? But to do justly, love mercy, 
it, it's it's just a, the the Ten Commandments. There's the the, the second table first, uh, do justly, love mercy, and then the first table, walk humbly with your God. And then uh, almost every text, if not every text from the Old Testament that they use to support their social justice claims is misinterpreted like that. These texts are never telling us that Israel is being chastised by God for lack of showing justice to their pagan neighbors, but because they failed to show justice among themselves. And, 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 And for that, they deserved the correction of God. All right. A New Testament text would be uh, that's very similar would be James one and twenty seven. Here's another classic, quote unquote, social justice text. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. They would say, here's here's what religion looks like to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. And and as I mentioned here in a minute, that 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 does have an application to the world. But that's not the specific context of this verse. This specific verse is having it has reference to the wives and children of believers who've been widowed or orphaned because of persecution. The church is being hated, being hated by the world, and they're being killed. Christians are for the sake of Christ, and because they're being killed, that means there's an abundance of what widows and orphans. And so he's telling them specifically to deal with widows and orphans from the covenant community. And it's not a direct reference to those outside the church. You see, what, what, what social justice people like to do is they like to bring these texts in the Old Testament that speak about Israel and, and their failure to show, to, to show justice among themselves and bring it over as if Old Testament Israel is America. But when you bring Old Testament Israel over into the New Covenant, it's not Israel, it's the church. And that's a big problem with their hermeneutics, if you call it that. Now, but there's a third point that's that's important, and it's somewhat of a correction. Not a correction, but a, a compliment. The church, thirdly, is to teach its members to live just and righteous lives within the world. And we're all for that. As Christian people, we ought to live justly and righteously within this world. As citizens of this country, we can and should be concerned with injustices within this country. Guys, I'm all for that. We ought to vote to promote righteous people who will in turn implement righteous laws so that injustices will be remedied. I'm absolutely for that. That's that gets a loud amen from me and any other Reformed theologian in the last 2,000 years. But the problems here are two. One, while we are, as Christians, to, to let our light shine before men, we are to, to labor, uh, pray, and to, and to, and to uh, vote for people who will be righteous and implement righteous laws. Uh, policies, laws and policies. But we're not. That doesn't mean that we're to labor labor to remedy every perceived injustice. See, that's, you know, if you ask the average um, social justice person, what is the thing that, what is one of the most evident social injustices that the church has? They would say what? Systemic racism. Mm-hmm. 
But the problem with systemic racism is that it's a fabrication. It's non-existent. Where there's real racism in, in this country, guys, I'm all for combating it. As, a, as an individual Christian, it's not the church's uh, formal uh, task or responsibility, but as Christians who are members of this society, who are members of this country, we are obligated. And where there's real racism, I'd say we fight it head on. I'm for that. But I'm not going to chase a, fa- a phantom. I'm, I'm not going to go after what they claim to be is the number one social ill in our country. And that is systemic racism and all the other things that you mentioned, Joseph. It's absolutely untrue. So here's what happens. People will say that unless you buy into that false narrative, you're a racist and part of the problem, right? That's what they're saying. Now. Yep. Yep. See, I, 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 can't, I can't just say anymore, I'm against racism. Now I have to say that I'm against systemic racism. And if I don't agree that there's systemic racism, that I'm a racist. That's hogwash. It, it, it's nonsense. But not only am I not going to go after perceived injustices, but secondly, I'm not going to fight against selective injustices. Okay. He, okay. Systemic racism isn't, isn't a dominant problem in our country. It, it, it's a fabrication. Okay. But there are some more systemically, I, I, we could call systemic injustices. And, and what are they? Well, how about abortion? Mm-hmm. That's systemic. That's systemic. That's, that's actually systemic racism too, but it's certainly a, it's certainly a systemic injustice to the unborn. See, but how many of the social justice warriors want to want to stand on that stand on that front and and make that an issue, and 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 call that out? Or how about this one? Here's another uh, way in which these guys are selective. The bulk of them are anti-death penalty. Mm -hmm. And the death penalty is one of God's fundamental ways to promote social justice. What about all the poor victims of those people in Chicago that are being gunned down? 50 of them almost every weekend are shot and nearly a half of them die every weekend, guys. What about about justice for the victims and and the parents of the victims? See, nobody, nobody's up in arms about that. That's, that's bona fide, actual and real social injustice. And so what, what I'm for, is I, I, you know, I could flip it on them. And while I don't use the term social justice because it comes with all that baggage, I could actually say I'm for social justice. I'm for social justice. I'm for Christians living justly in this wicked world. I'm for that. And I'm also for going after not perceived but actual social injustices. How about abortion and victims of violent crimes and their family members with respect to the death penalty? Perhaps I can just summarize it it like this. Make the death penalty great again. That's, That's what God has instituted as the primary way to implement social justice. And these, many of them are good Christian people. It just saddens me to no end. Some of them are wretched, wicked hypocrites. But either way, and there's, every, and there's everybody in between, it just saddens me because they're, they're crying up supposed social justice when babies are being murdered and slaughtered. And these poor um, victims and the families of victims of violent crimes in, in cities like Chicago are, are, are going undealt with. They need justice, guys, because God is just 
and he acts justly, and so, and so should we. I think one of the things I've seen, I don't know, but you can comment on this too, I feel like the, the social justice epidemic that's going on right now, it's, I mean, I think we'd all agree, it's not really about real justice, number one. But I think number two, it, it seems to be more about the perceived transfer of power. Um, it, it seems to be less about let's actually make a just society and more let's, you know, I've been wronged or somebody else has been wronged or I feel like I feel bad because of something. And they, they almost make a problem to give themselves more power. Um, but I feel like that, and I, well, I know that has caused such a great divide in our country and um, even in the church to some degree. I think you were kind of oh, hinting on that as well. I think there are there are some people that are well-meaning people that are just really uh, deceived or confused misinformed. Or, or, yeah, or, confused. Yeah, yeah or, or just, I mean, going along with the flow, you know, because there are some, relatively speaking, level-headed, good Christian people who've been swept up in this nonsense. But also to your point, uh, Tony, you, you think of... Uh, you think of how backward this is, how upside down this is. Take, for example, the illustration of reparations. Mm-hmm. What a what a what a social injustice mm-hmm. that is. Why would you take from people who never did nothing wrong mm-hmm. to give to people who were never wronged? I mean, that that that's not, that that cuts at the very heart of justice. That's like the epitome. So it, it's a perfect, wretched example of injustice, or we could even call it social injustice or political injustice. But you know what? I, I, I know we're running out of time, so I just want to kind of quickly get to this last point of mine. And that is because God is just and he acts justly. I, I alluded to that text in uh, in First um, Thessalonians where it says that uh, because he's righteous, he will repay those who've troubled you. He will repay them with tribulation who've troubled you. And while everything is so out of whack and everything is so unjust in so many ways, there's coming a time, brethren, when the just one will return to this earth and he will right every wrong. So these wicked, wretched politicians who under the guise of justice are promoting injustice, especially those who are promoting abortion and failing to implement the death penalty, which is a part of their, the whole point of them being there, they will give an account to the king. They Each and every single one of them will give an account to God for the way in which they acted, the way in which they ruled in his stead on this earth. Amen. And, you know, that brings me... I mean, we we preach the gospel, and we want to see people like me and people like you, wicked, wretched sinners, caught up in all kinds of madness. We want to see them repent from their sins, come to God, and be forgiven. And 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 they will be forgiven, because remember, the gospel it, it, it's not a the salvation in the gospel isn't unjust, because He will punish their sins in Christ or else he will punish their sins in themselves. But one way or the other, God's righteousness and his justice will prevail. Amen. Uh, we have a couple minutes, so dare I dare I do this to a 
to a pastor. Um, <laughs> so one last thing we usually like to leave people with is what do you have to say to the men that are listening um, in terms of just how, in a nutshell, should they respond as Christian men in an unjust society? Um, maybe start in the home and then into the church there. If And again, we have a few minutes left, so I hate to do this to you, but okay. if you could try and go for no, it. No problem. <laughs> I think I can wrap it up in a minute. Okay. Well, uh, first of all, as uh, as Christians, there is a sense in which we are prophet, priests, and kings in our home, and I think we need to um, imitate to our wife and children a just rule, a just rule. We need to rule with equity, uprightness, and righteousness. Why? Because I want them to see that this is how God is. This is who God is, right? We're kind of giving a, a, a sermon by our, by our illustration in the way in which we rule within our homes. And then closely connected to that, I would say to pastors, um, God rules in his church through elders and his word, and thus elders must act justly, upright, and righteous. They too need to imitate their beloved, who is perfectly and infinitely just, upright, and righteous. And I do think also, too, just to back up to Tony and to kind of just summarize everything, I would encourage churchmen, as uh, as well as specifically uh, uh, fathers, to just go back to, to listen, not that I have all the answers or that I, I nailed it or, or, or answered all the problems or the questions or untied all the difficult knots, but just go back and listen to what, what I said over the last 20 minutes and just have these truths in your mind, in your heart, that you can speak intelligently, humbly, but accurately to those who are caught up in that system. Because inevitably, what are they going to do? They're going to quote Micah 6, they're going to quote James 1, and the average Christian doesn't know his Bible. He, doesn't, he, he knows it's not right. He knows this stuff is wrong, but he doesn't know why it's wrong, and he doesn't know how to combat it in his house, because his teenage children are going to be hearing, hearing things, and in the church. because. Like you guys said already, tragically, in many churches, it's already infiltrated. And uh, every person has to draw the line in terms of when, when it's proper to depart. But it's my own humble opinion, when elders begin to get infected with this doctrine, it's, it's, it's time to, to, to jump ship. Because this thing is rotten. And it's devastating our country, it's devastating our churches, and it's tearing our homes to shreds. It's wretched, it's wicked, it's satanic, and it's anything but just. You summed that up very well, Mike. Thank you. Um, hey, real quick, if anybody's listening and they wanted to get in contact with you, maybe they heard something on this interview that they wanted to ask you more about or, or anything like that, how, how can they do that? Yeah, just call my study number, which is uh, on the website. So if you go to our, our church's website, heritagerbc.com, there's only one phone number there, and that's mine to my study. It's 330 330- Four five four six six three seven. That is again three three zero four five four six six three seven. Well, Mike, thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on. Uh, we appreciate. It. I appreciate it. It's nice. It's always yeah, nice I, I, I appreciate it too, Tony. Next time, Joseph, don't talk too much. I'll try not to. <laughs> Sorry, I'm recovering from uh, COVID, and my voice is about yeah, gone. man. You 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 hogged the whole time. 
he he's recovering from he's recovering from getting the rona so the rona rona oh, goes okay. well i'm glad I'm, I'm glad that you're getting through it <laughs> yep thank you all right mike well thank you we, we appreciate it. okay man but thanks so much bye-bye and that was pastor mike waters a man i am very fond of from heritage reform baptist church you are listening to the patriarchy on the fight laugh feast network we'll be right back This is Leonard from the Matriarchy. I'm joined here with my fabulous co-host, Todd. Say hi, honey. Uh, Todd. Yeah, hello, boys. It's just, uh, I'm tickled pink to just be here. This is our 50th episode, 5-0. And I just want to thank all of you from the very heart of my bottom. Mm, Yes. Uh, Anyway. Uh, Today, we're here to talk about some big news coming out of our church. Do you remember what that big news is, Todd? Are are we going to tell anybody about our engagement? I mean, uh, Todd, no, no, Todd, no, that's not, no, Uh, no, no. Today, we're talking about the the big news that, as our long-term listeners know, Pastor Deborah, formerly Pastor Deborah, has been going through Holy Scripture, and uh, she's come a, come along an idea that she was not yet aware of. So while studying through a little-known part of the Bible called the New Testament, she came to the conclusion that only men should be pastors. Part of that big news is we, we have to rethink how we talk now, because Pastor Deborah is no longer going to be Pastor Deborah so that she can be in line with God's holy word. So from now on, Pastor Deborah is going to be known as Pastor Doug. Why don't you talk about the upcoming Slap Giggle Sip Conference where we're going to celebrate that, Todd? Yes, so Pastor Doug is going to be, we're going to have a transformation ceremony where we ordain his transformation. It's like a butterfly. It's like a butterfly. Yes. And so we want to invite everybody to South uh, North Dakota. And for our conference, like I said, it's the Slap Giggle Sip Conference. And and uh, you will want to be at this rally for the transformation. Oh, and the first night, it's going to be super fun, Todd. We're going to have grape juice and we're going to sing pop songs. It's going to be great. There'll be some really good speakers there, too, I've heard. Oh, absolutely. We're going to have some big time speakers such as... Amy Bird, Beth Moore, and who else are we going to have, Todd? Yeah, you just can't forget Soby Tumter. Oh, absolutely. He's, mm, he's my favorite. Well, Todd, I think that's our episode for this week. Wait, wait, wait. Can I, can I plug my new book? Oh, that's right. Go ahead, Todd. I have a book for children. Now, I know many of our listeners probably don't have um, boys of their own. I mean... They might have boys of their own, but you may know what I mean. They don't have any children. And and so, um, anyways, I wrote this book for children. So you can take this to your church library. It's called It's Good to Be Coy. Mm, that sounds like a bestseller right there. I assume we can get that on Amazon and all of the other liberal outlets. Yes, yes. You can get it anywhere you would 
buy a, a liberal book. Like if you wanted to buy a book by Kamala Harris, you can buy a book, my book, just right there. Oh, she's my favorite president. I got to tell you, Todd. Well, everybody, until next week, make sure to pin us on Pinterest, friends, because every pin counts. Toodaloo. And we're back, and uh, I've made it through without you finding out all of my deep, dark sins that I've confessed to my pastor and been placed under church discipline for. Not really, but you were you were prying there. <laughs> yeah, man, uh, it was a good conversation. There's a whole lot more. I mean, we can to talk about when it comes to justice and some of the way that uh, it's being distorted, and 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 even the mission of the church and those different things. It was a good kind of good just a basic primer for God as being just and how we ought to be just. And yet what our world thinks is justice is not justice. Yep. Um, I think what we want to do now is to just, let's talk about what it means then to, to apply all that, like to be a just man. Um, go, to that the, passage go to the women's march. Go to the women's march, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> but there is the passage in scripture from Micah, which he that you know, there are they it's twisted obviously mm-hmm. by some, but it is true that what is required of us is for us to do justice mm-hmm. and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God. And a a man who has been filled with the Holy Spirit, who is adding to himself the different virtues, will certainly be a just man. Right. First of all, he'll be righteous, declared righteous by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so his his justice that he has, even from there that standpoint, is an alien righteousness. Alien, it's it's a way it's not um it's not from him. It's someone else's. And yet God also makes us what he declares us to be. You know, in the beginning, God said, let there be light, and then there was light. And so when God declares something he makes it happen. Mm-hmm. And so when he declares us to be righteous, he also makes us righteous to make us to be just men. And so the Bible has quite a bit to say about it, but I kind of wanted to go to a passage in the book of Job and look at, and kind of just get an example. I think we've gotten to this passage before with other, on other topics, but uh, let's look at this picture of Job. And, you know, the Bible says Job was a righteous man. He was a just man. And, and that's part of the reason that that's, that is the reason that Satan went and attacked him and, 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 and while God allowed it to happen. But in Job chapter 29, Job is, is speaking of how things were before he was under this, this, this time of suffering. And he talks about the kind of man that he was. So I just want to read that to you. And then we'll kind of just talk about uh, a couple points of it, but here's what it says. Oh, that I were as in months gone by, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone over my head, and by his light I walked through darkness. And so first of all, you, he, he he's making the point that all that's about to happen became because he walked by the light of the Lord. And he says, as I was in the prime of my days, 
when the friendship of God was over my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, and my children were around me, when my steps were bathed in butter and the rock poured out for me streams of oil, when I went out to the gate of the city, when I took my seat in the square, the young men saw me and hid themselves, and the old men arose and stood. The princes stopped talking and put their hands on their mouths. The voice of the nobles was hushed, and their tongues stuck to their palate. For when the ear heard, it called me blessed, and when the eye saw, it gave witness of me. So here we have this thing where he there's this very picture of him walking into the city gates, and like children, young people, they get up, they move out of the way because they they you know here's a, a man that's that's coming, so they don't want to be seen taking his seat. The older men stand in honor, and there's all this like looking at him. And why? Why is that the case? Well, verse 12, because I delivered the poor who cried for help and the orphan who had no helper. The blessing of the one ready to perish came upon me, and I made the widow's heart sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy, and I investigated the case which I did not know. I broke the jaws of the wicked, and I snatched the prey from his teeth. And then I thought, I shall die in my nest, and I shall multiply my days as the sand. My root is spread out to the waters, and dew lies all night on my branch. My glory is ever new with me, and my bow is renewed in my hand. To me they listened and waited and kept silent for my counsel. After my words they did not speak again, and my speech dropped on them. They waited for me as for the rain, and opened their mouth as for the spring rain. I smiled on them when they did not believe, and the light of my face they did not cast down. I chose a way for them and set as a chief and dwell as a king among the troops, as one who comforted the mourners. So, Tony, there's a lot going on in here. And some of this uh, is the fact that as he goes out to the city gate, what we're being told here is that it's most likely he is some kind of civil magistrate. So he's an elder of, of his people. And so to go out there is to do judgments and to make justice. And that's why he would investigate a case. And then in the investigation, he would crush the wicked and do right by the innocent. And so some of this, you know, we're not civil magistrates. So that aspect of us actually crushing the wicked um, doesn't apply unless you're a civil magistrate. But it does apply in, in a sense of which we how we might um, vote and how we advocate for the the innocent and how we might speak to the civil magistrates as 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 we can within our duty of that. But the very point here about the just man that you see here is that he is a man that looks out for the innocent, the needy. Um, he looks out for orphans and widows those who don't have anybody else to look out for them. And he, he, in doing that, also investigates the case because the Bible speaks of justice this way in Leviticus 19.15. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. So um, what we're being told today is if you're going to do justice and you're going to be social justice, you're immediately going to side with whoever claims to be the victim. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so if somebody makes an accusation, 
you know, the, the, the just man then has to decide with the, 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 the accuser. And yet we're not to be partial. We're not to be partial to the poor or to the great. Rather, we hear the case. And um, for many of us, we don't have jurisdiction. As well, again, we're not a civil magistrate. So we need to be careful that we're not just going around trying to to get into jurisdictions that don't belong to us. Mm-hmm. All right. There's, I think there was a verse that we talked about. There's about a man who is in someone else's jurisdiction. He he's always wants to be in somebody else's uh, uh, um, place and, and do their job. And so it's, you're not a just man. If you're always, you're always bassing the civil magistrate and trying to second guess every case of justice. That's not an example of just justice. People might think that is I'm being just, why don't, you know, you remember when King David's son would sit in the gate and like, why don't people come to me and and I'll relieve their cases? So there's a, a bad way to be, um, to think you're being just when you're not. But on the other hand, God has given us jurisdictions. So I'm a pastor. I have to do justice within that. I, part of my doing justice within that is, is how I discipline, how we do church discipline, um, also, how we preach and speak to civil magistrates and other people, like fathers. But I'm also a father. And so I think it's important for us, and, and your pastor kind of spoke to this a little bit, about us being just in our jurisdiction as father. And so this is what I think we need to do. Like, let's, let's drill down in on this. What's it look like for you to be just in your jurisdiction? If you're listening to this, you're a father or you're a son somewhere how, what does it look like to be just there? So, Tony, let me let me ask you. What is how how do you do justice as a father? Well, I don't always believe the first kid that comes to me. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, most fathers can agree on that one because um, there's uh, you know there's of course there's always the verse that you know the first to plead his case always seems right until the second comes. Well, or the third or fourth kid comes. Um, so that's one thing that I've, I've worked really hard on. And I will admit it is hard. Um, when you have multiple kids, there's always one kid. Usually that's the one that does get in trouble more. And I do have one of those. And so it is hard to not automatically assume that that particular child just did it. Um, so I've worked real hard on that and I've always asked the kids, Okay, so you, yeah, I've usually will tell them one at a time. Okay, you guys be quiet. You tell me your side of the story. Okay, now you told me your side of the story. You be quiet. You tell me your side of the story. And then I try to put together evidence. Uh, Sometimes you can't. Sometimes there's just two kids conflicting and you didn't see it. And, um, but then sometimes there is, sometimes you can put some things together. I, so that's a start. That's, that's one of the ways that I try to do that. I try to not jump to, um, the conclusion before I get all the evidence. So what, so what you're trying to do there, Tony, is actually you're trying to be just and what you're realizing in is you want to punish or to discipline is a better word, um, real sins right. against God, right? Not, not perceived ones, yeah. And you're also, it's about what's been done against God because the temptation, I'll tell you my temptation, I hear a kid cry, you like the kids are playing together and one of the kids just starts bawling. I just want it to go away. 
I just want the yeah, crying to stop. I know. I know. You're like, you're doing something else and you're just like, let the cry stop. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you just kind of, you're, you, you can come in there like a, a bull in a China shop and, and, and you're be quick to hear the first person, usually the crier and whoever made him cry, gotten, it gets, it gets mm-hmm. in trouble. And, and I'll admit there have been times when I have jumped the gun and I've disciplined the wrong kid and then found out that I disciplined the wrong kid. And, uh, and then, so I, at that point, then I try to be again, a just father and I go before my whole family and I get everybody together, at least everybody that was involved or everybody that saw it. And I apologize and tell them I was wrong. I, I punished you. Will you forgive me? Cause you did not do what was wrong. And then I'll tell the rest of the family, you know, I'm, I'm, I, he, he did not do what I punished him for. I don't want you to think that he did wrong. Th- this was my fault. I messed up. And, um, that's, that's, that's a humbling experience in front of your family, especially your kids and your wife. But at the same time, I've actually seen a lot of good come out of that too. You know, there's a lot of good to repenting in front of your family, but I, I try to do that too. I mean, fair is fair. You know, like if, if I punish the wrong kid, I have to make that right somehow. No, that's the, that's the, the right thing to do. And it is, is a thing that a father needs to be willing to do is to own his sin, own his, and that will, that will establish justice your children will be will be just because justice is not just about you dishing out justice. It's about you being a just man. And a man that doesn't own his sin is not a just man. That's either that's a tyrant or um um I mean, it's a liar, for one. And yeah. it's a it's a it's possibly a, and usually a tyrant. Um but if you are a man that owns your own sin, then you're uh your judgments as a pa- as a father, um, I can't will be received better. Not always going to be received well, no matter what you do, but um, they will be received better. Um, so okay, so that's one aspect, which is making sure to to hear the 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 case before you discipline. What else can you do, Tony? What else is there? Um regarding justice in the home? Well, I think being, I don't know if I want to use the word fair. Um, try to pick that word carefully. Mm, I think, well, okay. I think having the discipline fit the sin or fit the crime or however that saying goes, um, I think that's important because I think if we all admit it and I'll admit it, as a father and as a man, um, sometimes the anger gets involved and you shouldn't, it's not that you shouldn't discipline in anger. You shouldn't discipline in rage. I mean, I, I kind of think, make that distinction. Like there should be, you should be angry that you're sin or that your, your children are sinning against God, but you shouldn't be enraged to the point where you're not controlling yourself because you're bigger than them and, and you shouldn't, um, spank them harder than, you know, was warranted, that kind of thing. So I try to make, the best I can, the judgments that the that the discipline fits what happened, um, and I don't mean like because I think there's some people that uh, let me back it up. I think there's some people that spank for every single thing, every single time, all the time, and I guess that's one way of doing it. Um, but there are sometimes I think that I've well, there are times in in our our home that I've showed mercy to a kid, and I think sometimes that just depends on the situation. 
But um, that's actually gone a long way. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's gone a long way with some of my kids, too, is when I think they thought, oh, man, I deserve this. I'm going to get this. And and I'm trying to think of it as an example, but I can't. But I do remember saying to one of the kids, um, you know, right now, I should or I, I uh, what you've done warrants, you know, me spanking you or something. But because of such and such or whatever, I'm not. But this is called mercy, son, or something like that. And that's actually been a teaching thing as well. Um, and I think that's an exercise in self-control and restraint um, and knowing when to apply that and when not. But I don't know if that answers your question that you're asking there. I think there's another aspect of it. Is, is No, that's good, actually. So there's two ditches, I think, what you're trying to, you're trying to avoid. So one is inconsistency, mm-hmm. which is you don't discipline and things build up. To the point in which it's usually something small. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and so you over-discipline something small. So you're you're out of proportion because you've been inconsistent in your disciplining your children. So consistency is key. But consistency doesn't necessarily mean the smallest and every smallest infraction that every t- moment is just met with a spanking. Right. There are times when parental discretion lets you see that maybe, for example, they they did something and they got natural consequences. (laughs) And so, yeah, Yeah. they deserve another spanking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you need to, that's when there's judgment as a father that comes into this. You're not trying to be um, impartial and give bad justice out but you're trying to make sure that the justice fits the situation Mm -hmm. and this is an important point of justice even in our civil realm um right that's why there are often minimum and maximum penalties and those are those can be a, a good thing because what they do is they give the judge a chance to assess the situation that led to this and the character and how often this type of things happened and then gives them a range of, of, of punishment for the justice so that uh, the, the punishment does fit the crime. And so that's what you're doing as a father, too. Right? You're weighing the situation, assessing the things. And you might think this is a time in which I can show mercy. And if I'm, I say this, this is mercy. You deserve this. You're still doing justice. Now, um, just the key is you don't go overboard with that like every right. other time. And, you know, then you're, then you're, te- you're, you're again, you're inconsistency and you're teaching them things about justice that are bad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, another point I think is important, Tony, is that uh, our, our, what we're going to discipline for needs to be kind of clear beforehand. Yeah. So God gave his commands before he ever did any discipline or judgment. Right. Adam knew beforehand what would cause him to face death. The law given by Moses was laid out before the blessings and cursings that were shown at the end, you know, after they received it. And so you giving your children a list of these are the family rules. um, You can just go straight Ten Commandments. For us, we've given, we have like eight family rules and like the eighth one is a catch-all. It's kind of like you must obey all God's commands, but the rest are like, 
are based off of God's law, but they're just more generalized things that would fit for children. Like, for example, look out for your brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And actually, we have what we've done with that particular family rule is to say, if you, if you if you children are together and you're not looking out for each other, every one of you will get disciplined. Mm-hmm. So whatever. So if you guys are together and somebody gets hurt and it's because of negligence and you didn't, or you were, or somebody was harming another person without somebody else stepping in and trying to stop, we're going to discipline everyone that's involved there. And they know that now. And, and, and we've done it a few times and we're, you, we're doing that to teach them, look out for each other. You are a team, you're a family, family looks out for each other. But, you know, uh, again, there's a ditch with that. You don't want to discipline everybody for every other thing. Like, you know, like in, in the military, we, we had this guy at basic training that went to the PX. He snuck away with PX is like the grocery store and got bags like, huge grocery bags of candy bars and tried to sneak them back into the basic training base. And he, he almost did it and he got busted and man, we all got in trouble for it. And, but this guy would do that so often and we would get in trouble for everything. And this guy didn't care because he was always, he was like buff. And so he can, <laughs> he can work out and stuff. Finally, they, the drill sergeants realized it was counterproductive. Like, and so they stopped doing that. So be careful in the kind of thing that you might do with that with your children. Um, you need to have wisdom on that. What are you trying to teach? That kind of thing. The point being, you're trying to teach justice. You're trying to teach God's law. And you're trying to teach, you know, all, all the things that go along with that. And, and God's given you the, the tools to do that. So you need to be a just man. So Tony, I think we're about ready to wrap up. I, I kind of want to move just one other application area and then we'll wrap it up. This is like an and entire that, episode of me <clears throat> trying to keep pastors from going over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Hey man, I'm I've been COVID. I've been locked up for a long time. I gotta get this out. All right, all right. Uh, I'm gonna use that excuse for like the next eight episodes. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> but um no, um, what does this look like as a as a as a um a single man or, or away from your family as a man, right? To be just, well, I think it, it looks like being impartial as much as you can, right? When you hear an accusation against somebody, be slow to receive it. Uh, if you look at the Westminster, the larger catechism on the ninth commandment, one of the, the duties that we have is to, 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 I don't, it, it kind of words it as like being incredulous, incredulous when you hear an accusation against somebody else. The idea is like, I, I can't believe that. Now, it doesn't mean be uh, naive and, and, I mean, obviously, or to cover up sin or that kind of thing. That can obviously happen. But it does mean when you hear an accusation, you need to hear evidence. You need to hear both sides of the, 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 um, the, uh, from the discussion. And this includes things you hear online. Mm-hmm. And this is very difficult because we all have our favorite pastors, favorite people, which we are very tempted to any accusation against them will defend, but 
people that aren't quite our favorites, uh, we might just uh, oh, yeah, really? I heard that about them. I'm going to blast that all over the place, and I'm yeah. I'm guilty of it too. Yeah, that's a good point. And and yeah, we need to be just. And just means treating those near us and away from us with the same kind of standard. Now, I say that, and then I say those closest to us, our loved ones and things, they have we have more duty to them. We have more responsibility to them. So there's a natural aspect of of not you know be uh it what's the one I'm trying to say? It, there's a natural aspect where you hear an accusation against your friend, your brother. And what you want to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's a fine thing to do, but you need to be also careful to do that with people that are not close. Right. Right. So, well, that's kind of, I mean, there's a whole lot more. We can speak to this for a long, long time. And I've got a lot to work on because I want to be to that point where like Job, you walk into a place and the people recognize this is a righteous and just man. And that wraps up episode 50. I want to take a moment to say thank you from the both of us to all of our fans, to everybody that has been with us from the beginning, or maybe this is your first episode, or you hopped on this bandwagon somewhere in between. Thank you, each and every one of you. Thank you for the comments, for the messages, for the emails, for the phone calls. We couldn't do this without you, and we certainly wouldn't want to do it without you. This was never started as a means for us to be some kind of celebrities or some kind of gurus. This was always about us becoming the best men we could possibly be and also taking everybody else that wants to come along for this ride with us. So thank you, all of you, from the bottom of our hearts, uh, from the both of us here, for being fans of this show, for all of the encouragement and support. Also, thank you to everybody that donated to our fundraiser to get us to South Dakota later this month for the Fight, Laugh, Feast rally. That's huge. Uh, we definitely could not do that without you guys. If you guys are going to be there, please send us a message or an email or shoot us a comment. Let us know where you're going to be when you're there. We would love to meet up with you guys and hang out, grab a bite to eat, sing psalms with you, sit next to you, whatever. Uh, we'd love to meet you guys, shake hands, and hear your stories. Uh, it encourages us an immense amount. You have no idea. Uh, both of us have just been amazed at all the stories that we've heard, not even just from the United States. We have heard stories from all sorts of other countries, uh, which is just mind-blowing. Uh, again, we, we had no idea when we started this show where the show was going to go. We were just two guys who had an idea and a really funny intro. And the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network, uh, thank you guys. Thank you to Gabe. Thank you to Knox. Thank you to Toby. Thank you to all the other hosts uh, for taking uh, a chance on two goofballs that uh, had an idea and had a mission and helped us get there really fast. Uh, so, again, if you guys are going to be at the conference, let us know. We'd love to meet up and hang out with you guys. Uh, as always, if you want any patriarchy merchandise, you know where to go. Go to our, our friends over at confessionalware.com. And I do mean that. We do know them. Uh, they are good people. It's a husband and a wife. Uh, good Christian folks uh, who have really supported our show from the beginning. So go to confessionalware.com. Buy some of our merchandise. Just click on podcast collaborations. Look for the Patriarchy Podcast. Buy any of our shirts and mugs. And buy some of their other stuff, too. And tell them that the Patriarchy sent you. Go support some other fellow believers instead of going out and buying something from some you know pagan outlet that hates God just because it has a cool design. Hey, we got cool designs, too. So go support us. Go support them. Go to confessionalware.com and buy yourself some Patriarchy merch. And... 
As always, it would not be an episode of the Patriarchy Podcast if I didn't say this. If you are not yet a Fight, Laugh, Feast club member, goodness, it's 50 episodes in. What are you doing? Go to FightLaughFeast.com. Click to sign up to become a member. Cancel your Netflix subscription, okay? Get rid of it. Get rid of Disney+. Plus. Go pick one of the different tier levels of the Fight, Laugh, Feast club membership. And when you do, use the code PATRIARCHY to support our show and get yourself access to actual quality content, behind-the-scenes content, and, of course, our other show, After the Sandwich. You don't want to miss that. So go to FightLaughFeast.com. Click to sign up to become a member and use the code PATRIARCHY when you do to get us another 50 episodes and support this show. So as always, until next time, if you have not yet bowed your knee to Christ, repent and believe. And if you have, this is our call to you. Build, fight, protect, lead. This is, and always will be, the Patriarchy. Thank <laughs> you.